Well, good morning, Faith Family. Let me say a very special welcome as well to our guest. We are so delighted that you're worshiping with us today. I want to say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville, to those gathered in our venue, to those gathered in 114, to those gathered in the dumpster out back. We got people <laughs> everywhere. And so all of you at all of our locations, we are thrilled that you're here. Happy Easter to you. Uh, happy Resurrection Day. We have a lot to celebrate today. And I'm going to invite all of you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't know what that is, uh, there's an inspired table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. Uh, Just make your way to Ephesians 2 and find that. We've been in a series, if you're a guest with us, um, the last several weeks here at Berean, we've been talking about grace. We've been talking about God's amazing, radical grace in our lives. Uh, We've looked at a lot of stories in the ministry of Jesus, uh, Stories like how uh, there's grace to prodigals and grace to prostitutes and grace to the demon-possessed and grace to fallen disciples and, and all these different kinds of stories of God's grace that are given uh, to people. And so this morning concludes this Grace Parade series that we've been looking at, and we're going to look at our story, God's story in our life Because what I want you to understand today is that what we celebrate on Easter in celebrating the gospel is the testimony of a Christian. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to be talking about the story of God's grace in our life. And what a great day to do that on than Easter. Amen? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you're able to stand in all of our locations, uh, please do. This is just our way here at Berean of honoring God's Word because we believe that God's Word is true and authoritative for our life. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived... And the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one can boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's Word. I'm going to ask all of you in all of our locations to pray for me and pray with me now. And let's ask God to come talk to us through His Word. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be here this morning. I'm so thankful for for everyone that's here now to celebrate the best news in the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us see this morning that what we celebrate in the gospel is the testimony of our own life. And if there's somebody here today 
and they don't have that testimony. They've never experienced your grace. I pray that today would be that day. All to the glory of Jesus' name. And we ask it in his name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I never dreamed that taking a child to Disney World could be so difficult. And teach me so much about grace. That was actually a statement that was made by uh, one of my colleagues at a seminary where I teach as he described an occasion when he took his middle daughter, Skylar, and their family to the magical kingdom of Disney World. Now, you need to understand that his daughter, Skylar, he and his wife had adopted her into their family, and she had previously been adopted by another family, but that adoption had dissolved. And for reasons that he could not explain, he couldn't understand at all, that previous family every year would go to Disney World, and they would always leave Skylar at home. They would only take their biological children. And and Skylar just assumed that this was because she wasn't good enough. She didn't deserve to be able to go. Uh, She wasn't a good little girl. And so she assumed that this would never be true for her. Yet her family would come back and they would tell the stories about all the rides they went on and she'd see all the pictures of Mickey and the gang. She'd hear the stories about all the fun activities that they were able to do, all the while assuming she'd never be able to do that. Then she was adopted into my my colleague's family, and he promised her, I'm taking you to Disney World. And they put the date on the calendar, and the countdown was on. But he noticed that as they got closer to the date, her attitude turned awful. She started misbehaving. She started being disrespectful. She started picking fights with her siblings. And so he set Skylar down to have a chat. And when he did, she immediately said, I know, I know. You're not taking me to Disney World. And it, it, it clicked with him. Like it, it finally registered that Skylar had convinced herself she'd never be good enough. So why bother? Skylar, are you a part of this family? Yes, Daddy. Then you're going. And the day came. That day she'd been waiting for, it finally came, and they entered into the magical kingdom of Disney World, the home of overpriced tickets. Can I get an amen? Somebody want to shout how revival's about to happen right about now, all right? I mean, ungodly lines and just enough manufactured magic to make you consider coming back. It's true. You know this. But boy, did they have the time of their life. She rode all those rides. She enjoyed the food. Skylar had the time of her life. And she said something that night back in the hotel that her daddy would never forget. Exhausted from the day, she's laying in bed. He sits down beside her and he said, So, how was your first day at Disney World? And she grabbed her 
stuffed unicorn and slid in the sheets and with those big eyes looked at him and said, Daddy, I can't believe I finally got to go to the magical kingdom. And it wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. Faith family, I don't know of a statement that better describes the Christian testimony than that. Anybody here today absolutely amazed that you have been given access to the greatest kingdom in all the world, far greater than anything Disney has to offer? You have been invited into and access to the kingdom of God that you have God, that you have a relationship with God, that you're going to spend eternity with God. Is that true of you? Do you know that's true in your life? Well, if that's true for you, know this, that your entrance into God's kingdom was not because you were good, it is because you are his. That the story of your life is not a story about your goodness. It is a story of the amazing grace of God. Now, I know this idea of grace is, is often popular with people. Uh, we like, or at least we think we do, the idea of grace. But we almost always assume that our goodness is somehow mixed up with it. Uh, after all, we live in a very merit-based, performance-driven culture. For instance, you've got to earn the degree. You've got to win the trophy. You've got to build the resume. You've got to establish the trust. You've got to achieve the promotion. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to be a good little boy. Achievement is the alcohol of our lives, and our identity glands thirst for it. The more I get, the more I achieve, the better I perform, the better I am, because what I do is who I am. That's the way our culture thinks. But you're going to have to get something straight this morning. You're going to have to understand something very clearly if you're a Christian. The grace of God and our goodness are incompatible. It's either based on your goodness or it's based on His grace. It is not both. And that is exactly what Paul shows us here in Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is giving here the Christian testimony. And he takes these Christians back and he says, this is who you were. This is your reality. You were living in a spiritual grave. He understands that he's got to take them back to understand their former life, to appreciate and celebrate who they are now and what God has done in their life. It's like, for instance, sometimes you've got to go back and look at your old high school photo to appreciate how you look now. Right? You may not look great now, but you've looked worse. All right? 
And by the way, who knew that Pastor Terry had a mullet? Now you know. But we know this, like sometimes you got to go back and realize who you were to appreciate who you are. That's what Paul does. He goes back and he says, Christian, know this, you were dead. That was your identity. You were living in a grave. Your spiritual condition before God was separation and death, not diseased, not depressed, not dysfunctional. I'm talking dead as in no life as in flatlined, as in corpse, as in Ben Affleck's acting skills. You were dead, <laughs> dead. You were flatlined spiritually. And, and, and you know, if you just go back to Genesis 3, you begin to understand why this is the case. In Genesis chapter 3, humanity sinned against God. And because they sinned against God, they became, now watch, they became separated from God and as a result, died spiritually. Now, I don't think we often connect these dots enough, so let me do it. It's very simple to understand. Why does separation from God lead to spiritual death? Y'all with me? It's because God is the source of life. He, he's the one that says, let there be, and there was. He's the one in Genesis 1 that's creating. He's the source of life, which means if you disconnect from him, if you're separated from him, if you don't have a relationship with him, you are dead. You are dead. Paul says that's exactly what was true of you. In fact, it's true of everybody. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, death spread to all men, that is all humanity, because all sin, fallen people give birth to fallen people. Watch right here, everybody, in all of our venues, when, you, when humanity fell, they gave birth to fallen people. Everybody that comes out of that line is born in sin, separated from God. Paul says that that was your story. That was your identity. That is who you were. And by the way, there's no degree of deadness. You can't be here this morning and say, well, good news, you're only half dead. I'm just kind of three quarters dead. No, dead is what? Dead. And the reason why I point that out and it's really important is because it means you can be really, really moral or really, really immoral, but you're still dead. The, the issue for the branch is not does it look good on the outside or look bad on the outside. The issue of the branch is, is it connected to the tree? Is it connected to the vine? Is it in relationship with the life source? And I understand this is not the kind of way our culture likes to think about ourselves. We don't like to think about ourselves as dead. I read a very, very strange story this week about a woman in Michigan. It's probably why it was a strange story. It's Michigan. <laughs> no offense, right? It was about a, name, uh, a woman by the name of Linda Chase. True story. I'm so glad you're sitting down. Linda, for 18 months, took care of... Uh, her 67-year-old friend named Charlie in his home. Every day she bathed him. Every day she talked to him. She would even watch NASCAR with him. And she knew the entire 18 months that Charlie was dead. She never contacted his family. She never contacted the police. And when it was finally discovered what she was doing, they asked her why, which is an appropriate question. Why? 
You know what she said? And this just jumped out at me. She said, I didn't want to acknowledge that he was dead. And while that is an extreme case physically, that's not extreme spiritually. We live in a culture that does not want to accept this. We say most people are basically good, Luke Bryan. Most people are going to a better place. God grades on a curve and I'll be above the curve. Like a, a New Zealand study that, that studied uh, 800,000 people. And one of the questions on the survey was, do you get along well with people? And every single one of them said yes. No one out of 800,000 people thought anybody had problems getting along with them. Our assumption is I'm fine. It's education that's the problem. It's environment that's the problem. It's economics that's the problem. We're like the, the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Do you remember that scene where they say, bring out your dead? And you got that guy saying, I'm not dead. I don't want to go on the cart. I feel happy, like we're saying, Pastor, I work, I do laundry, I exercise, I've got good health, I'm educated, I'm alive, and you miss the point. You can be physically alive, you can be good morally, and dead spiritually. It's what Paul's saying. That's who you were, Christian. And not only were you dead, you were drifting. You were following, the text says, the course of this world. You were going along with the system of the world, namely living for self, pursuing your life, pursuing your goals, living for your pleasure. You were going along with the entire stream of fallen world, living for me. Not only uh, are you drifting, but you're also disobedient. In other words, because you were dead to God, you rebelled against God. Listen, everybody spiritually has been this kid. You've been that defiant kid that said, you know what, God, I know you said live this way. I know you said approach money this way. I know you said approach sexuality this way. But you know what I've got to say? No, I'm not living your way. I'm living my way. Paul says that's who you were. Because you were dead to God, you rebelled against God, which made you, number four, destined for wrath. You were by nature children of wrath, the text says. In other words, you were headed into an eternity where you would be separated from God forever. And that means, dear friend, you and I were in a desperate situation. How are you going to get out of that? How are you going to reverse that current? How are you going to, you ready, undead yourself? I mean, think about it this way. In, uh, in 1991, I was, I was probably two, um, <laughs> play along. There was a man by the name of Mike Powell. He set the Olympic record for long jump, it was a record that it held since 1968. Uh, his jump was 8.95 meters, which totaled 29 feet, four and a quarter inches. Just to give you some type of visual what, what, what that looked like, I, I just happened to have 29 feet, four and a quarter inches of rope. It's a providence of God. I need a, a volunteer on that end and a volunteer on this end. If you'll just take that, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. All you got to do is just hold it. And if you'll take that to that end, you'll see the, the marks there, right? And I want you just to hold that tight. 
Yep, come back this way a little bit and hold that as tight as you can so everybody can see it. This is 29 feet, four and a quarter inches, all right? So hold it tight and hold it high so everybody can see it. There you go, awesome. That's how far Mike Powell jumped. Now get that in your mind. Like he jumps from here and he's still in the air. He's still in the air. He's still in the air. 29 feet, four and a quarter inches later, he hits the ground. Now, be honest, how many of you think you could do that? How many of you would like to come try? I mean, you, you couldn't lay off burgers enough and do this. I couldn't do this with a trampoline. Are you kidding me? Hold it up again, all right? Who thinks they could jump that? In other words, what you have visually represented in front of you is the absolute best humanity has been able to do. The best athlete in all the world when it comes to jumping distance is this. So here's my question. Lakeville venue, everybody in all of our venues, look here. If that's the best that humanity can do, how do you think you're going to cross the gap between you and God? You can't even do this. How in the world do you think that you're going to jump the gap and cross the divide that your sin has made between you and God? Not to mention the fact that dead people don't jump. Amen? Give them a hand for helping me out here. Thank you all. So, so here's the flow of the text, everybody. Paul is saying, Christians, you were dead. You were drifting. You were disobedient. You were destined for wrath. You were in a desperate situation. There was a, a, a gap that you could not cross. Aren't you glad your story didn't end there? What if I just said, let's pray and go home and let's have the most depressing Easter ever? <laughs> Anybody this morning like, Hallelujah, praise God, glory to him that our story didn't stop there. What we needed was not a reformation. It was not a rehabilitation. It was not a rededication. What we needed was a resurrection. As Jesus said in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, I got good news for you this morning. Our God specializes in resurrections. Verse 4. But God. Two best words in all the Bible. But God. Being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Your testimony this morning, if you're a Christian, is two words, but God. That's it. That's your testimony. That's your life. That's your whole story. Do you want to summarize your entire story in two words? Here's your two words, but God. 
In fact, in all of our locations, I want you to participate. When I point, I just want you to say, if you're a Christian but God, I want you to testify this morning to that testimony that your life is but God. Paul says, you were dead. Come on, you were drifting. You were disobedient. You were destined for wrath. You were in a desperate situation. But God made you alive, but God raised you up, but God seated you in the heavenly places. That's our testimony. That's why our testimony is Skylar's testimony. We're alive not because we're good. We're alive because of his grace. I was dead, but God. That's it. Hallelujah. Praise him for what he's done. To, to give you some type of visual of this, uh, Pastor Kent Hughes described a time when uh, uh, he uh, hiked up to Mount Whitney in California, uh, the highest point in the U.S., and he looks out over everything and just sees the, the beauty and the majesty and the, uh, he, he sees the, the crystal air and the beautiful lakes, and he's just absolutely amazed at the glory. And somebody in his group mentioned that it just so happened that 80 miles away is the lowest point in the U.S., a place of 134 degrees in the shade, a place of death. It's known as, you can say it, Death Valley. And it, it, it hit him. It clicked with him when he was there on that mountain. He said this. He said, I realize the enormity of my salvation, that God literally took me and spiritually took me from the deadness of Death Valley to the glories of Mount Whitney. He took us, celebrated this Easter from a grave to seated in the heavenly places. Praise Him. Praise Him. Now, why did he do it? Why did he do it? Well, it's because the Bible says you're a snowflake. You're a butterfly. God looked at you and he was like, what would eternity be without him? And clearly you've not been listening. Let me tell you why God did it. Because he's filthy, rich, in mercy. Because there's so much love in him, it pours out onto us. And grace like falling rain has showered down upon our life. Listen, listen. The what happened to you is but God. And the why it happened to you is but God. Because it's just the kind of God he is. Now, how is it even possible? How can something like this even happen? Uh, what's the guarantee that this is even true? I'm glad you're asking those kinds of questions because I was just about to answer them. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. I want to show you something. This is kind of the, the high point of the sermon. So if you've zoned out, zone back in, okay? By the way, how can you zone out in my sermons, all right? 
We have to figure that out. Verse 5. Watch the language he uses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together, say this, with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up, here it is again, with him, that is with Christ. And seated us, here it is again, with him, that is with Christ in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Do you notice two things? One, everything's pointing to the past, an event that happened in the past, and it has everything to do with Christ. It was with him. It was in him. Paul is making a point to these Christians that is unbelievably important and has everything to do with Easter. Namely, the reason why we know this is true is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of something that actually happened in time and space and in history. Because of that resurrection, your resurrection is a reality. In fact, the Easter story, I want to show you this, this is so important, is a but God story. The Easter story that we celebrate today is a but God story. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus died. That's verse 23. Now look at verse 24. But God, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. I'm going to get so excited here. What's the gospel? What's the Easter story? What are we celebrating today? Here it is. Jesus died for sins, but God raised him up on the third day. That's what Easter is all about. Amen. So what's our story? What's the story of grace? What's the story of God in our life? It's simply this. We were dead in sins, but God raised us up in Christ. Oh, man, you got a light bulb moment here. Our testimony is Easter. What we're celebrating today has defined our story forever. He died. He rose. I was dead and I'm alive. All glory to God. That's our story. That is the Christian story. And there is no other story that is a Christian story. Because any other story than that isn't the gospel. When you start adding your works into it, it's not the gospel anymore. It's not Easter anymore. It's not salvation anymore. Salvation is he died, he rose. I was dead and I'm alive because of him. Because of his grace. Our resurrection happened because the resurrection happened. The story is told in World War II when uh, Germany conquered France, when Hitler took France over, they shut off the borders to keep people from uh, escaping. They, they didn't want people to, to go into other countries and, and be able to experience freedom. And, and so they noticed that there was one little uh, border town that the population of that town continued to decrease. And they couldn't understand why. And they wanted to figure out what was going on. So they sent some soldiers in to discover what was taking place in this town. And here's what they found out. 
they found out that right on the border of a neighboring country that was not under Nazi control, there was a graveyard. And what the people in that town were doing was having a whole lot of funerals. And what would happen is they would walk into the grave and keep walking right across the border and into freedom. I am here to declare to you today on this Easter that the path to eternal life with God goes right through an empty grave. He is risen indeed. And if you by faith will walk through that graveyard today, you will be alive in God forever. This is the story of a Christian. We were in the grave, and then God brought resurrecting grace. And what that means now is that our life is all about His glory. How in the world could we take credit for this? How in the world would we sit here on Easter and say, you know what, this is so amazing in terms of what I've done. You you know, I mean, I at least contributed the dead part. (laughs) Look at what Paul says in verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works. Everybody say this next phrase. So that no one may boast. How in the world are you going to take credit for any of this? Man, we, if you make Easter about your goodness, you will rob God of his glory. This is a grace parade and we're in it. And we're going to be there in that day in the ages to come, Paul says. And we're going to be gathered with that prostitute that we learned about and that demon-possessed man that we learned about and Peter and all his failings and that prodigal that came home. And we're all going to be gathered. Their story and our story together will proclaim one story. Glory to God forever and ever for he was worthy, he was slain, and we have been redeemed because of him. He will be the one who receives the glory in all of eternity because of the grace that we have received. This is the Christian's story. And one last implication of this, notice in verse 10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It means now we have a purpose that we didn't previously have. Somebody say preach, preacher. There's a whole sermon right here that I don't have time to give you all of it. Do you notice that good works comes after the resurrection and not before it? That's really, really important. Good works didn't get you to grace. Good works are what come out of grace. It's why I teach you here all the time. We don't ask you to give. We don't ask you to serve. We don't ask, some of you are like, that's my kind of church. Um, No, (laughs) we don't ask you to do any of those things. We don't ask you to share a Jesus with people out of guilt. We ask you to do those things out of what? Grace. We are a gospel motivated people. 
And the good works that we live for come out of the resurrection we've experienced in His grace. Let me connect the dot quickly, and then I'll be done, which in preacher talk is like an hour, okay? Um, After Jesus' resurrection, what did He do? He gathered His followers and He commissioned them. Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1. He said, go and make disciples of all the world. In other words, this is so important, and it fits the flow of this passage. Watch. Mission follows resurrection. Hey, by the way, Christians, earlier, you know, you were clapping and you were saying amen and you were getting all fired up. I hope you'll be just as fired up about this. The resurrection has an implication over your life for ministry. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of deadness in our world. And who better to go share life with the people who need life than the resurrected ones? Oh, that, that was worth an amen. Uh, that, like, where, where'd you go? You left me out here. Resurrection implies mission. There are children in this world. There are marriages in this world. There are men and women in this world. They need life. And you have a testimony of life. So God has called you and purposed you for those good works. Let the big resurrection of Easter motivate you to live for small resurrections in the lives of men and women everywhere, that their life would be transformed for good by the power of the gospel. A few years ago, nine college students were coming back from a trip off campus. As they were coming back, a semi-truck lost control and caused the van to wreck Five people lost their life. One young lady was left fighting for her life. Her name was Laura. They rushed her to the hospital. They contacted her family and they said, she's in critical condition, but she's alive. But you need to understand that when you get here, you're not going to be able to recognize her. Her face is badly swollen. There are cuts and bruises. She'll be wrapped in bandages. She won't even be able to speak. They said, we don't care at all. We just want to be with our daughter. And they sat there by her side for five straight weeks as she recovered As she progressed, her sister began to notice that she wasn't quite acting herself. She wasn't responding to the surroundings very well. And so she began to ask her some questions. Uh, uh, Do you know where you are? Do you know who I am? Do you know your name? Because she couldn't speak, they handed her a sheet of paper, and what she wrote on that sheet of paper would send her family into total shock. She wrote, my name is Whitney. And what that family discovered is that laying in that bed was not their daughter, Laura. It was another one of the college students 
who had been in that same accident. And because the two of them looked so similar, they had been falsely identified at the scene of the accident. Their daughter, Laura, had been buried five weeks earlier at a funeral they never even knew happened. That broke my heart. I read that as a parent and wanted to weep. There's a sense in which that I could rejoice with that family, that Whitney's family, whose daughter was alive. But my heart broke for that family that spent five weeks thinking their daughter was alive when she was actually dead. Can I share something with you as your pastor? I'm not trying to manipulate you. From the sincerity of my heart, what breaks my heart also is the fact that that same spiritual tragedy is happening today. Some of you are here and you think you're okay. You think you're good enough. You think you're alive when the truth is you're spiritually dead. And what breaks my heart, what tears my heart in two, is that some of you will leave today continuing to think that, only to find out in eternity that you were dead all along. I proclaim to you today the good news of Jesus Christ. That if you're dead spiritually, today can be your resurrection day. Today you can be brought from death to life. Today you can enter into the greatest kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God. And you can do so Not on the basis of your goodness, but all because, come on Christian, His grace. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I thank you for this passage that we've looked at this morning. I pray that we understand that what we celebrate on Easter, it's not just an event that happened in history, though it is. It is a life changing, future-altering reality. It's the testimony of our life. And my heart breaks at the fact that there may be people here today that have never experienced your life-changing grace. They've never been brought from death to life. And I just pray that because of your word and your spirit at work in their life right now, that they have seen their deadness and that you would call them by faith to walk through a graveyard, to walk through an empty tomb and into eternal life. I pray that all of us today would say that our testimony is a grace testimony. It's a but God story. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a good word.